You're listening to the Cathedral Podcast. To learn more about Cathedral, like service times or how to get connected with a small group, visit wearecathedral.com. Today's message comes from Pastor Dave Ammons. Oh, that was cute, Stephen. It'll be fun. We'll see how far he gets in the uh, old challenge there. Uh, But here, seriously, I do encourage you guys, uh, join us in filling out those brackets. Man, it's going to be fun. It really doesn't matter how much you know about basketball, right? I mean, you could be like Stephen, who watches a lot of basketball, right? He's going to be an insider, right? I mean, he's going to be making an informed decision. He knows the teams. He watches the teams, right? Or you could be like my wife. And whoever's got the cutest cheerleading outfit on that team is who she's choosing that day. Here's the interesting thing. Come on, go Duke. That's right. Come on. ACC champs last night. Me and you, baby. That's it. That's all that matters, though. That's all that matters. But here's the thing is whether you pick it by the cutest cheerleading outfit or you know your junk about basketball, the odds are about the same. Seriously. Like, if you've ever... If you've ever had somebody back in high school be like, oh, yeah, I used to do the brackets. Yeah, I, I picked a perfect bracket. Wrong. <laughs> Never in the history of the world has a perfect bracket ever been chosen, picked out, guessed on, whatever you want to say, right? Actually, today is Selection Sunday. Did y'all know that? Today's Selection Sunday. Uh, what is, it has actually nothing to do with church, okay? So you didn't miss anything. Like, you're not selecting something today, right? But here's what happens. Here's what happens is all day, if you turn on ESPN, the only thing that you're going to get today is they're going to be talking about that bracket right there. They're putting in the final touches. Uh, This week was actually considered uh, champ week, okay? And what that means is all of the conferences come together, and uh, a a champion is found in each of the conferences, okay? So whether it's the ACC SEC, Big Ten, doesn't matter whatever it is, Duke last night won the ACC segment of that, okay? See, me and her, we are going to get along this service. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Uh, And uh, here's the thing is, as you fill it out, you have a 1 in 9.2 quintillion odds of picking it right, honestly, okay? Let's just say you have an insider, okay? Maybe it's Steven. Maybe it's, I don't know, someone on the actual Duke team. And they're like, hey, I'll help you fill out your bracket. Okay, there was a professor at DuPont University that actually studied this to to tell you how much your odds increase. Okay? It moves from 1 to 9.2 quintillion all the way up to 1 in 120 billion. (laughs) I mean, you're getting close, right? Uh, But regardless, I think it'll just be fun uh, if you don't do basketball at all. Uh, download it, put in that password cathedral, and just join us. It'll just be fun to see who gets it because it's probably going to be someone who's never actually watched a basketball game in their life, and they're probably going to pick the best bracket. It's going to be absolutely amazing. We'll have some fun prizes with it, uh, but if you have any struggle with it, please let us know. We'll love to do it and help you out. But that's probably why Warren Buffett did his uh, $1 billion perfect bracket challenge. If you think you can do the perfect bracket, Warren Buffett will pay you or $1 billion, okay? Anybody feeling lucky in the audience today? Okay, 7 o'clock, you can start, right? But it's never been done in the history of the world, right? Uh, the closest person that has ever come to 
picking the perfect bracket is a guy up in Ohio. His name is Greg Nigel, and in 2019, he successfully picked 49 perfect matches. Dang 50th game. Had to throw them off. But that's the closest we've ever been to a perfect bracket. But this is the exact reason why it's called March Madness is because it's filled uh, and, and with all of these di different upsets. It's an upset-fueled, unpredictable madness, which is why this whole term, March Madness, has stuck around. Now, last week, we dove into the trials uh, and the values. <coughs> Excuse me. And we all are going to have trials in our lives, right? We established that. None of us can escape the trials of life. We're all going to go through that. The difference of why certain teams are successful during March Madness, outside of just pure talent, are the teams that operate off of something different. And what we talked about is that thing that is different about these teams is they operate based off of certain values. Now, we applied that to life, and the value is when we lead our life in a way that's just not all these random values that the world can give us. Rather, they're biblically focused, they're biblically-based values, and the Bible is littered with all these different values. We talked about five of them simply because there's five players on a basketball team. The first one was this, is that we have to understand that we have an enemy, right? We have to know who we're up against. We have to understand who we're going against if we're ever going to have a chance to go on to value number two, which is we have to have a game plan. You can't get a game plan if you don't know who your enemy is. So then you keep on rolling down this field, the, the game begins to start, and there's a couple of values that we need to implement onto the court as well, which is we got to rely on the coach, the coach being God himself, but we've got to be a person that our knee-jerk reaction, our first response is that we're going to rely on the coach. The type of player that we want to be and the value that we talked about around this is that we're going to be committed, and not just to ourselves, but we're committed to the team as well. And the last value that we talked about is this whole thing around looking for reasons to rejoice. The way that we say it around here at the church is that we're going to choose joy. How many of you guys know in life there's a lot of opportunities to not choose joy? Which is why when we say the key word in that phrase is the fact that we choose it. It is a choice and most often times you're choosing something that's going against the grain because most of what life throws at us isn't the most joyful, right? But how many of you guys have been on a team where the trials of life have been thrown at them and you have a bad attitude on the team? What does it do? It tanks the entire team. There's not even a chance of winning because you're all in the complete wrong direction, okay? So here we are. We're getting closer uh, to the launch of March Madness. You saw in the video, Stephen tells us that Thursday is the very first game, okay? So we're getting close, which means only one thing, that the pressure is beginning to build. We just got done with Champ Week, so all the number one seeds are decided, right? Uh, all, all the conferences are decided. But all that did was add on more pressure to the game. Because possibly, depending on how you performed this past week, your seed, the number ranking that you are, could have possibly changed, which has major implications on where you are in this bracket. Okay? 
the pressures and the trials of, of injuries are still continuing to happen throughout even this last week. You know, you take a look at some of the teams. One of the teams that, uh, that, that Duke played was Miami. Within the first quarter, one of their main players twists his ankle and has to come out the rest of the game. You know, so there, there's some major trials still unfolding. Just because they lost against Duke doesn't take him out of the bracket. They're still going to be in this bracket. We're getting ready to start that. And so now, as a team, they got to figure out, are we down one of our best players, or is he able to get rehabbed enough to get it back into the game? It drastically changes their game plan, doesn't it? Okay? Um, it, it, if you look at one of the teams, actually the team that Duke played last night was Virginia. One of their main players couldn't be in it. Guess why? He broke his hand in practice. Like, he doesn't even have a cool story. Like, hit a guy in the face, or... Jammed it, dunking on somebody's face, or like, no, 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 we were just jacking around in practice, broke my hand. Now he can't play at all. Like, he's sitting on the dime. Now, he does have an incredible mustache, so if you ever see him, I mean, it literally, it's like pristine. I mean, he must have been hours on this thing, right? But the pressures, the trials, they're still there. And as I was thinking about this whole service, and I was praying around, Lord, what, what would you have me really communicate? There's a word that continually kept coming up as I was thinking about this service, and that word is preparation. Because so many of these teams right now, they're preparing for March Madness. Every team has a different strategy. Every team is looking at the game from a different angle. But nonetheless, every single one of these teams are doing everything they can to prepare for the game and for the road ahead. This madness road that every single one of them are going to be facing. And as you think about preparation, if we're going to be successful in any arena of life... Most of that success is going to be due to the fact of how much we do what? We prepare, okay? So preparation is key if we want to succeed. Now, in Charleston, when I hear this word prepare, one of the first things that my mind goes to is the fact of we need to prepare every hurricane season, right? City officials do a great job of flooding my inbox every year, and every year I feel like hurricane season gets bigger and bigger. Like, we get done with January, and here comes hurricane season again. Right? It's just like, it gets, I don't know, we always have hurricanes, I guess. But I love it, and when, when you think about it, it's such a good reminder, because you want to be ready for all the possible storms that the hurricane season may bring. And so what do we do? We go get a bunch of supplies, we get food, we get water, we get batteries, we do all this kind of things. Now, this will make sense to us, because being that we live on the coast, we get lax pretty quick, Right? only has a couple years go by if there's no storms. Eh, maybe I don't need them. Then you get a storm, you're like, oh, this is going to be the storm. And it ends up being like a thunderstorm, right? We cancel school, we do all the things, right? And so three years go by, and you're like, eh, prepare, prepare, prepare. And we're like, eh, I think I'm good. And then we get that storm, and then we join the million other people that are in the storms. Like, oh, shoot, here's a real storm. And now we don't have any supplies on ourselves anymore, right? But preparation is key in life. No matter whether it's hurricane season, whether it's a simple game called basketball, or whether it's life. And so I want to talk about, as it pertains to basketball, how do we prepare and what does that equate to in life? One of the first things that I thought about as you begin to prepare for, for March Madness is every single team is watching film. 
They're watching film. They're watching their opponents. They're watching previous games. They're watching the last time they played an opponent. If they've never played that opponent, they're finding other film to to figure out, hey, what are the strengths and weaknesses? When When you watch film, there's two things. The first thing that pops up is that you can watch who you're playing. You can see the opposing team. You can see what the enemy, the the opponent that you're going to be playing is really good at. And so you begin to look at their strengths and weaknesses. You you begin to zoom in on certain players that you're going to be playing. Are they left-handed? Are they right-handed? What's their strong suit? Do they drive into the middle or do do they go baseline a lot? Like what makes them who they are? What kind of offense do they play? What kind of defense do they play? You, you, you begin to look at your opponent and figure out why they are who they are so that way you can be ready when you play them. Okay, that makes sense. The other thing that watching film does is that you can watch yourself. And this is very key because you can do the same thing but in reverse. You can look at your weaknesses. You can look at your strengths. You know, if there's a team that traps a lot, like they, they do a press and you get two players over here and you're getting trapped in a corner right? There's, there's things that we can look at that if you turn the ball over 10 times, hey, there's something going on here. We got to figure out how do we break the press? Do, do I need to pass earlier? Do I need to not pick up my dribble and get stuck in the corner? There's a lot of different things that as you watch film, you can get a good game plan of how to increase and better your game specifically for that team, okay? Now, I want to give you an example of this live because I think the majority of people, if you've never been involved in sports or at a higher level of sports, so many people can think that watching film is just like, oh, that's cute. They're watching a game. That's great. You know, you play basketball. That kind of makes sense. You watch a little basketball before you play basketball, right? No, no, no. It's more than just watching, right? You're very specific. So I'm going to show you just one play. This is a high school game. It was something easy that I can find. If you'll go ahead and play this first clip, and I want you to watch it. I'm going to pause it at a certain point for you to see. So this guy's coming down. He throws it to his wingman. He comes up, crosses him over. Pause it right here. Okay. Now, if you're in this game, or if you're in this, if, if you could put yourselves in the shoes of this player who has the ball right now, quite often what happens in the middle of games is the stress of it or the fast-pacedness of it messes you up and you don't see all the opportunities that are at hand, okay? Now, when we play this forward, what you're going to notice is that he is going to turn the ball over. The ref actually calls a travel, and there's a reason why, okay? What you'll notice is when, when he crossed him over at, at, the, at the beginning of that play, if you'll, if you'll play it one more time, he crosses him over, so he passes it to the wingman, Wingman comes up, right, and then he crosses him over. What he doesn't realize is he actually beat his opponent. But whatever it was about that game, he felt like he needed to pick the ball up, which was the worst thing that he was doing. And what he should have done was just continue on his path because he had him on his hip. He beat him. So the value of watching this film the next time he's in that position is he knows, hey, when I can feel that player on my hip, I need to keep going. Doesn't matter what I feel, I need to keep doing what I'm doing because then the floor opens up with so many different options, right? He continues to beat the guy and he could have done a nice little floater right into the basketball hoop, right? Could have got a nice little easy shot. Let's just say that this other guy collapses on him, right? So you got two defenders, well what does that do? He can just dump it to his player, his, his teammate. He's got an easy little layup. You dump it right here. I mean, that's an easy shot to get, right? Okay? Let's say that all that dumps open, 
And now he realizes, oh, shoot, I can't go either one of these directions. But I notice that both of the people on the wings are completely wide open. So now I can get a three-pointer on either direction. But he doesn't even know this guy's even over here because his back is turned to him, right? So you see all the different options that happen when you can begin to dissect film. You know, at the very worst, if you get yourself in that position and you're just, you're stuck, right? Well, for him to be able to realize, hey, I don't need to pick the ball up. If I can, I just need to dribble right back out, reset the play, and I can go and take a look at, see what's on the floor. In the moment, he would have never seen all that. But when you watch film, when you go back and dissect the game, that's one play. So you can see that by the time you dissect film, there's so much power, especially when you're looking at the other team. Okay? Now, when my boys heard me talk about this, um, they're like, Dad, you got to do reaction videos. Man, we got to do reaction videos. If you have like a five-year-old to eight-year-old, uh, you know about reaction videos. If you don't, you have no idea what I'm talking about. There's a lot of them. Mr. Beast is the biggest one who does all these different reaction videos. And so I was like, okay, cool. I'll do some reaction videos for, for church. You'll, you'll love it. Only problem is they have no reaction videos for basketball. So graciously, the team heard the challenge. We're like, eh, not a problem. We can create that. So let's do it. You want to do a couple of reaction videos? Okay, so here's how they typically roll. They'll show a scene, they'll pause the scene, and they give you three options. And typically, it's something crazy, and the options are like, did they save their life? Did they take out the whole crowd? Or did, were they oblivious and didn't know anything was going on? And then they unpause the video, and you get to see which option it was, right? So it's pretty basic, but it's always, every single time, I always choose the wrong thing, okay? So we're going to watch a couple basketball ones. Let's do it real quick. Uh, real, real quick, I'm participant. I like for you all to give me feedback. Can everybody say A? Okay, good. Can everybody say B? B. Can everybody say C? C. Y'all got the answers. Let's do one. Come on. All right, here's clip one. Let's see what we got here. All right, we got Trey, Atlanta Hawks. He's throwing the ball. Okay. Here we got two, three options. Does he shoot a half-court shot, the, the guy he's passing to? Does he pass the ball and hit his teammate in the head? Or C, does he shoot a long-range three? What do y'all think is going to happen? C. Let's see what happens. Passes it. Donk! We gotta see that in slow-mo. Let's get it one more time. Come on. Give it to me in slow-mo. Oh, oh, he slips. And this is on national television. Oh, man, that's amazing. There's power in watching film, even if it's making fun of your teammate. All right, let's give another one. Clip number two. Here we go. Who do we got? Who we got? All right, this is Decker. Okay, he's on a fast break. We got a couple options here. He's either gonna dunk, that's B. A, he trips and the ball hits him in his head, or C, he throws a lob to himself to dunk it and he misses it. Which one? C, okay. Oh man, y'all are quick on this. Let's see what happens. Here we go, fast break. Come on, give it to me. Oh, oh! It didn't work out. Again, we need to see this in slow-mo. Here we go. Oh, 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 right in the face, man. Come on. Oh, how do you recover from that, right? All right, one last one, and we're going to move on. We're going to get back to church here in just a second. One more. You can see how these are fun. Okay, we got Steph Curry, like, unreal player, right? Is he going to do a half-court shot, which is just like a layup for him? Does he do a three-pointer, or is he going to trip and then do an air ball? Y'all are catching on. Let's see what happens. Come on, Curry. Hit him with it. Oh, psych. All right, let's round two, checks. Air ball. Oh man, when does that ever happen? You do not want to see this. Right. Is from the maybe precipitation or from see, y'all can't hear it, but the, the announcer is like, 
His way. He's like, oh, it looks like there's some precipitation on the floor. I'm like, man, you know it's bad when you get called out from the announcer, you know? <laughs> but I love those videos. You can, I get stuck with my boys for like literally an hour watching these things. They're so much fun. If you ever need to waste an hour of your life, do that right there. <laughs> super, super fun. One time in high school, we were playing this team. Uh, it, it was, I wouldn't say it was a rival, but it was a, it was a very hard team. We were playing Bishop England. And we knew it was going to be a hard game. It was always intense. You were going to be exhausted, uh, probably even in pain by the end of it. And so uh, it was very important for us to watch the film and to understand what they were doing good at. It was during watching the film that I actually noticed something. When I was looking at the player that I was going to guard, what I noticed is that his go-to move was to do a drop step and get under the rim. Now, this was his number one move that he did, and why it worked so well is because he used the other defender as a shield and the backboard as a shield, okay? So then the only thing that he's got to do is he's literally right here, right? I mean, how easy is it to make a layup? And he would just dominate the boards time and time again, and even if you did get him, most often you were going to foul him because he had the position under the rim, okay? Does that make sense? Until I watched the film... And I noticed something. I noticed a break in his game, and this was the simple break. That if I could take away the baseline, force him to the middle, then he would do a shot that he wasn't comfortable at. He would do fadeaways, donk it on the rim, and his shooting percentage actually went down 60%. Just by me doing that one move. So what do you think I did? I took away the baseline. And guess what happened? It was successful. And because all of the players on our team were doing the same exact thing collectively at a group, we end up, we're able to shut them down, whereas previously when we didn't do that step, it was a close game. That game, we beat them by 28. 28. So you can see that there's power in watching the film. Well, Dave, how does this tie to my life? Because I don't, I don't have like a reality show following me around to like I can like, 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 rewind your life, like, hey, how did you do in that meeting? Like, oh, you were awful. Like, how did you do with that argument with your spouse? Like, well, you got a little bit too much. No, 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 we don't have, like, the ability to, like, rewind events and meetings and, and, and situations in our life. But in reality, we really kind of do. And this is the value of slowing down. We live such a fast-paced life that we never actually slow down enough to watch the film of our life. The place that I do this most often is in my devotion time, because there's a time period that I can focus more on God and less of me, but I can also replay these different scenarios. Hey, when I, was, when I had, when, when one of my kids didn't listen for the 800th time that day, how did I respond to them? Did I do it with grace? Did I do it from a teaching lesson, or did I lose my crap and yell at them, right? How did I do when I got in an argument with my wife? And I can replay those different scenarios in my head. It's this time of, of self-reflection. It's this time of, hey, is there something more supernatural going on here? Do I have this overwhelming spiritual warfare kind of thing going on in my life? And do I need to make some different adjustments? Do I need to notice, hey, the enemy over and over again is beating you with the same move? Doesn't that seem how it feels in life? Like over and over again, like, Every single day, the enemy just does a drop step and a layup, a drop step and a layup, and you wonder, why the heck am I getting beat by the same move every time? Until we slow down, 
we up this devotion time, we up this ability to have the spiritual reflection, the self-reflection, and we say, oh, okay, now I see. And what I need to do is I simply just need to make a pivot. I need to change up my game plan, and God will get in there and help me. What I'm describing is literally what James describes. We said this verse, but it has application again here this week. This is James chapter 1, verse 23, and here's what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Such a powerful verse. And, and again, I don't, you know, being confrontational doesn't bother me. I, I, it, I'm not doing it just to throw something in your face. Okay, but I do want to say this because I think it has massive implications in all of our lives. Every single one of us are guilty with this. But you want to know how this verse most often plays out in our life? As believers, we do really good at attending Sundays from time to time, right? But then we never open up the Bible Monday through Saturday. And then we wonder, why don't I know what I believe? Why don't I understand what to do in certain situations? Why does it always seem like I'm caught off guard? Right? It's the very reason why as a society that the average person who does go to church only goes to church once every six weeks. It's crazy. Why is that? Well, looking in the mirror is tough. I don't know about you, but I, I'm not the biggest fan of getting things pointed out that I'm doing wrong. Right? And if we're all really honest, that is a really tough thing. And so I love this analogy that this, this scripture gives because, yes, yeah, sometimes it's really hard to take a look in the mirror we do a really good job of it, deceiving ourselves, saying, oh, it's somebody else's problem. I don't really need to change, right? Y'all looking at me like, dang, this is hitting home, or y'all are tired because you lost an hour? <laughs> One of the two's happening this morning, right? Okay, even Morgan Wallen, if you listen to country music, gets this principle. Every country music song is either about drinking or about broke up with my girlfriend, okay? This one's about he broke up with his girlfriend, and the reason the girlfriend broke up with him was because he didn't read the book that sat next to his nightstand. It has implications if we only barely crack it open on a Sunday and never Monday through Saturday. A closed Bible is not going to give you much hope or much strength in your life, Okay? We've got to commit to staying in the word. We've got to commit to coming to church regularly because then your life doesn't stop at verse 24. You actually get to fulfill what it says in verse 25, which is this. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, a.k.a. the Bible, a.k.a. the word of God, when you look into it, here's what it does. If you continue into it, not that you just look at it, but you continue into it, you don't forget what it says or what you have heard, but you do it as well. When all of that happens in your life, man, check this out. They will be blessed in what they do. If you're looking for a verse to pray over your life, can I offer James 1.25 to you? Because I don't know about you, but I want every endeavor, every trial that I face Good, bad, ugly, everything in between, everything that I do in life, I want the hand of God on it, and I want it to be blessed. It's so important that we watch the film of our life. 
You know, even in practical applications, when I first started speaking all those years ago, every single service I would watch, it was awful. Hated the way I sounded. I was a terrible speaker. Verdict still out on that? Thank you. See? See? Surround yourself with good people. But what I would notice is, you know, it's hard to concentrate on somebody who says, um, 1,252 times. So one of my first battles to overcome in the whole speaking game was, how do I stop saying, um? You start to look at why certain points land. And you go, hey, what was I doing? Was it the content? Was it the fact that I finally slowed down and stopped talking 182 miles an hour? There's a lot of these things that go into it, but there's value. When I'm up on the stage, somehow... I have done a great job of deceiving y'all that I'm not nervous up here. I have no idea how. I'm praying the Lord reveals that. I don't know what y'all are seeing. Maybe he's got like a different screen in front of me or something. I'm, if I could hook up an Apple Watch, I would see my heart rate's 192 right now. Right? Because when I'm up here, I can't possibly think about how well is it coming across to you guys. And if I based it off of how y'all's faces looked at me, I would think I'm doing terrible, Right? <laughs> But when I watched the film, I could get a different game plan. I can get, a, And I would actually have another pastor come in and watch it with me. It was a very vulnerable place. But it was the very reason that, if, hey, if God has called me to something, I can deceive myself and just go through life and think, oh, I'll just see what, how good I do. Or I can chase after it, pursue it, and become the best that God wants me to be. Okay? There's power in watching the film. The next time that you get in your spouse, I want you to just get a little grin on your face. Like, babe. Come on, bring the argument. I got this. I've already watched the film. I know how to act. I know how to respond. Come on, give it to me. Give it to me. I'm getting ready to wow you right now. Like, that's the power of when we, when, we, when we watch film and when we dissect, hey, how did I respond in that meeting? How did I respond in the last argument that we had or the discussion that we had? And then you can give it to the Lord and say, hey, Lord, I need help in this particular area. You find scriptures that help you out with this whole process. It's very important to watch the film. The second thing that we talked about last week that I want to kind of put a microscope on is this whole process of the people who are on your bus, okay? It's so important to put the right people on the bus of life, okay? Show me your friends, I'll show you your future. It's the same process, but I want to hone in on that a little bit, and it's so important to understand the positions on the team. It's so important to understand your position on the team. Because unfortunately in society today, everybody wants to be Michael Jordan. Everybody wants to be famous on TikTok. Everybody wants to be the biggest influencer on Instagram. And the list goes on. So many people want the platform without doing the work that it takes to get to that platform. Okay? That's tough. If that's your recipe, you got a hard road because at some point you're going to learn that the promotion doesn't come from the east to the west, but it comes from God alone. Listen to what Romans chapter 12 says about the importance of knowing our position. Knowing our position on the team, another way that you could say that, is understanding your purpose. Here's what Romans 12 says. We've all got different gifts according to the, the grace that's been given to each of us. Before you were ever a thought in your mother's womb, before the formation of this earth, God had a plan and a purpose for your life. That is something really grand to think about. Every single one of us have been graced with a certain set of gifts and talents and personalities. 
Don't you think that if he had a plan for you that long ago that he'd have given you the wiring to accomplish the goal that he had for you? Let's listen to what it says. If your gift is prophesying, well, then prophesy in accordance to the faith. If it's serving, well, then serve. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If it's encouraging, then give encouragement. And if it's giving, give generously. If it's leading, do it diligently. And if it's to do and show mercy, well, then show mercy cheerfully. Psalm 16 gives what life is like when we pursue this in our life. Here's what it says. It says, God, you, you make the path of life known to me. You're the one who makes my path straight. We're the ones who make it go like this. Okay? But when I pursue your vision, your plan, when I discover your purpose that you have for my life, look at the fallout. The fallout is complete joy in your presence, complete joy in my life. Pleasures are by your side. He makes our path straight. When we lean on him, knowing our position, discovering our purpose, what it does is it produces hope. It produces clarity. It, it, it produces direction in our life. All the while that's happening, which are all good things. Would you not say that? Yeah, we want clarity. We want direction. We want to wake up every single day on purpose for our purpose. Right? It, it, it feels different. Okay? While we're pursuing that, what's also happening at the same time is all this pressure that life brings that we've been talking about goes like this. The more clarity, the more direction, the more on purpose we are, the more we know what God has wired us for, it's, it, it can't stay even. It lowers. That pressure reduces. And I think it makes sense why a major part of the enemy's plan revolves around preventing us knowing and living out our purpose. He targets it. He doesn't want us living on the purpose that God has for us. He can't stand that joker, right? He wants to make us as miserable as possible. We talked about that as well. But here's the good news is that no matter how hard the devil tries, he can't keep us from using the gift that God has given you. He can't. There's nothing he can do to 100% keep you from using the gift. Now, he can deceive you. He can mess up your head. He can make you think that you're not valuable, that you don't have a purpose on this life. But that's our choice. Our job is we simply just have to unlock what God has already placed on the inside of us. It's why we've dedicated an entire class of our growth track to this. We want to partner with you. We want to get on the bus with you to hopefully have this whole process of discovering our purpose explode in our life. Then the rest of our life is simply a journey of discovering that time and time and time again. I love it because it never gets old. When we say yes to God, that journey, I'm going to tell you right now, it's way more than March Madness. It never stops being exciting. I want you to listen to how Paul, he, he, he was praying the same thing for the people of Ephesus. And here's, here is, is, is his prayer uh, in Ephesians chapter 1. He says, I pray, I ask God of our master to make you and I, talking about me and you, okay, to make you intelligent and discerning and knowing him personally. Your eyes are focused, they're clear, so that you can see the exact calling that he has for you to do. It doesn't get much clearer than that. And that when you do this, what you will do is you will grasp the immensity of this glorious way of life that he has for his followers. Lays it out pretty simple for us, doesn't it? 
I don't know about you, but I want this glorious life. I, I, I want this life, that's, that championship lifestyle that we talked about last week. Moses in, in, the, in the Bible was going through something similar. And, and here's the interesting thing. We started this conversation last week with Moses. I had no intention of bringing it over into this week. But I was continuing in my devotions, and anytime I'm speaking on the weekend, I just, I don't know, I just, I like finishing up more stories and just seeing what God kind of reveals in that whole process. We were in chapter 17, and here's what chapter 17 really did. We talked about how between Moses and the, and the Israelites, they showed their commitment level to God, and they showed their commitment level to each other. Because what we discussed is they were, they were in a battle with the Amalekites, and God gave them a mandate. They gave them, he gave them a word that says simply... Keep the staff that I've given you above your head. Keep your hands lifted. As long as your hands are lifted, you will win this battle. Well, what happened with Moses and what happens with us so often is over time you get tired. Your shoulders start hurting. That's what trials do. And he began to lower his arms. And when his arms begin to lower, they begin to lose. Aaron and her, his right-hand men, come right beside him and said, hey, uh-uh. That's not what the word of the Lord said. Word of God said that, hey, you keep your hands above your head. You will be victorious. And here they come and they lift him up. They were committed to what God said and they were committed to each other. Okay, now you go to the next chapter. Moses kind of feels like, hey, I'm kind of in the uh, uh, more of a free zone. I don't feel like our safety is uh, in danger right now. And so he's off of getting... Uh, the Israelites out of Egypt, he's off the heels of this battle with the Amalekites. He's ready to see his family. He's got two kids. He hasn't seen his spouse in a while while he's doing all this activity. And so he reaches out to his father-in-law, reaches out to Jethro, and Jethro is going to bring his kids and his spouse back to him. So he shows up, and like a good son, he fills his father-in-law in with what he's been doing over the last couple of days. Now, it helps when the story that you can tell your father-in-law is saving the Israelites from the hands of the Egyptians. It's a pretty cool story. It kind of makes you look good in front of your father-in-law. Which, by the way, did you know that Moses experienced 22 miracles just in that short season of saving the Israelites from the bondage of the Egyptians? Everything from when he threw the rod down, it turns into a snake in front of Pharaoh. How about all the plagues that happened, right? All those plagues. How about turning, splitting the Red Sea or, or striking the rock and water coming out of the rock and so on. And so, I mean, that, that, that whole season was littered. This is what he's talking to Jethro about. He's catching him up on all these different things. He's telling him about this battle with the Amalekites and how they supernaturally won just because of what God had communicated to him. Okay? We pick it up here in Exodus chapter 18, verse 13. He's heard all this. Jethro is so proud of his son-in-law, just proud of all the things that he's going after, and he's, he's just kind of watching him this next day. And verse 13 picks it up, and he says, the next day, Moses took his seat like he always does. You see, God told him, hey, I need you to serve as a judge for the people. You see, these Israelites, they had a slave mentality. Their, their thinking was messed up. They literally wanted to go back and be a slave just because it, they thought their life was going to be easier. At the end of the day, they had access to water and food, so it might just be easier to stay asleep. No, no, no. Their, their thinking was messed up. And so God is telling Moses, hey, I, I need you to change their thinking. Their thinking was very bad. It was stinking, right? So I need you to judge these people. I need you to train their minds of when situations and trials come up, 
let him know what the word says. This is exactly what he's doing. They stood around him from morning until evening. When Jethro, his father-in-law, saw that Moses was doing for all the people, he said, what, what, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why, why do you sit alone as a judge while all these people stand around from morning until evening? And his heart was breaking for Moses. Moses, at this time period, was experiencing pressure on a whole nother level. You see, Moses, his mission was right. His method was wrong. He heard what God had called him to, but he was, he was spinning all his wheels and all this pressure was diving on top of him, and it was going to end up ruining him. Now, what ends up happening in the fallout of the pressure that we see with Moses has a very interesting correlation to what pressure does in our own lives. So I want to point out three things that we see in Moses' life as a result of pressure and see if they don't resonate with you. The first thing that we see happen with Moses is that it wears you down. Where's you flat out? Come on, any, any uh, Enneagram nines in the room? Raise your hand. Enneagram nines. Anybody take the Enneagram? One. Y'all don't take the Enneagram? We got two. Got a strong Enneagram over here. Okay, so for you, this is the point where you're just like, okay, I'm going to take a nap. Like, I'm done with this day. Like, I'm worn down. I'm stressed out. And the only thing that I can do is close my eyes and take a nap, Okay. Moses is making all the decisions, and it's wearing him out. What does this look like in our life? For a lot of folks, this is, is, this, this is the perfectionist. You set so many unrealistic expectations that mean nothing to nobody else except yourself. And you spend your whole day trying to create this perfect world that nobody else cares about. And it ends up wearing you flat out. For a lot of folks, this looks like busyness. You can't say no to people. You say yes to every single thing that comes across your, your plate. And what you end up doing is people only get a percentage of who you are. For a lot of us, it's just the sheer weight of stress, right? It just flat out, the more that you pile onto us, it just wears us out. And when we find ourselves in this, these moments, we've got to remind ourselves of what Scripture says. Because here's, here's what Proverbs chapter 3 says to this. He says, hey, I, I, I need you to do something. I need you to trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Don't lean on your own understanding. I know it feels so natural to lean on your own understandings. Surely you can make the best decision, but Scripture is telling us, don't lean on your own understandings. It's faulty. It's going to mess you up every single time. There's a person that we need to lean on, and we need to trust the Lord, but we don't stop there once we hear the Lord, we've got to submit to him, and he will make our paths straight. So, Dave, I, I'm, honestly, I'm worn out to the point that I just, I'm, I'm exhausted, man. I, I just can't. I don't see the light at the end of the tunnel. Again, you've got to go back to the power of Scripture because what Scripture tells us in Philippians 4.13, it says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Isn't it awesome that in your weakest moments, in your most stressful moment, your strength doesn't come from you. Let that sink in, right? we got to realize that in these moments when the pressure of the world, because it's going to happen, the Bible is very clear, it says these trials, they're going to come. It's going to feel like madness. But in those moments, we got to get this understanding of we can't not rely on our own strength because our strength didn't come from ourselves. Our strength comes from God himself. And when we rely on him, oh, then and only then I can do all things 
that this world can throw at me. Amen? Third thing that we see here is that it, or second thing that we see is that it isolates you. Moses is doing this thing by himself. He's, it's, it's, he's pushing people away. I, I, I'm the only one that can do this. Actually, I was talking to a lady this past week, and uh, this is exactly where she found herself. She had a lot of pressure building up. She had a couple different situations, and her knee-jerk reaction was to retreat. And so she retreats. Matter of fact, she hadn't been in church since the beginning of the year. Okay? She comes to church this past weekend. Here's what she communicates. She's sitting in her seat, and she has this realization all of a sudden and goes, this is what I've been missing. And she has this reflection time period. She has this time period where she can slow down, step back, view the film, watch the film, and God reveals to her in that moment and goes, this is what you, I never designed you to do life alone. I never designed you to isolate. Every single time we've ever isolated in life, what happens? We start going the opposite direction. The worst side of ourselves come out, does it not? Okay? But that's what pressure does. The goal of what the enemy wants to do with pressure in our lives partly is to isolate us. And after that service, she had such clarity. She had such direction. And here's the words that she communicated to me, which was, I know exactly what to do now. I'll be here every single week. I know I can, I can dig myself out, but it's not going to be by doing it myself. When I got here and I got encouraged by other people, you know what other people did? They hugged her neck, told her how great it was to see her. It brought that life back inside of her. She heard the word of God, and her path became straight for the first time in three months. The third thing that we see is this, is it messes up your head. Pressure messes up your head. It gets inside of your head. The enemy can get inside of your head, blow that whistle, foul, travel. The enemy loves to remind you of your past. He loves every single time that you mess up. Ooh, God ain't going to be able to forgive that one. Mm -mm. No, that's too bad. I'm going to tell you right now, the best thing you need to do is you don't need to go to church. You don't need to show your face there. They're going to judge you. Mm, boy. He gets in your head. He messes you up. He, one of the things that the enemy loves to do is he loves to trip you up. We allow the enemy to get inside of our head way too often and wreak havoc in our lives. This pressure, it begins to build and build and build. And what happens is this pressure will either make us or it's going to break us. You see, Jethro, he's watching all of this happen in Moses' life. His heart's breaking for all the different things that Moses is having to experience. And he says, he decides and finally says, okay, i got to give him some advice. Here's what he says. He says, listen to me now, and I'm going to give you some advice, and may God be with you. You must be the people's representative before God and bring their disputes to him. This is what God instructed you, so do that. Teach them his, degree, his decrees, his instructions. Show them the way how they are to live and how they're to behave. Don't stop all that, but... Select capable men from all the people. Surely with all these people around, surely there's somebody here who can help you. And, and I'm not saying just pick anybody. You don't pick just anybody. Pick, pick them based off a certain criteria in your life. This is how wise counsel is chosen in our lives. And it gives them the criteria right next. He says pick people, pick pick. Pick people who fear God. Pick people who, who are they're trustworthy men who hate dishonest gain. 
And when you find those people, appoint them as officials over thousands, over hundreds, over fifties, and over tens. Have them serve as judges for the people at all times, but have them bring every difficult case. Most of the cases, Moses, that you're dealing with, they're easy to handle. Let the other judges that you pick that have this certain character and criteria, let them handle that. But anytime you have a difficult case, bring them to me. That will make your load lighter because they will share it with you. If you do this and God so commands, you will be able to stand the strain and all of these people will go home satisfied. If Moses chooses to do what Jethro is saying, what you see is clarity come in. Direction, purpose come in, reduction in pressure, reduction in stress and anxiety, all these different things, and, and the rise of clarity comes up. So let's see how he responds, because he didn't have to listen. After all, it's his father-in-law. <laughs> Not sure if mine's listening, but I do listen. I'm a good listener. <laughs> let's see what he says in verse 24. Moses listened. Everybody say Listen. He listened to his father-in-law and did everything that he said. You see, when we listen, our lives get better. I imagine it probably stung a little bit for Moses. I mean, who likes to hear that they're not performing up to speed? It might have stung a lot. But that makes sense because our prideful nature hates to have our mistakes, hates to have our weaknesses pointed out. Proverbs 12 actually addresses this thing when it says this, if you love learning, then you're going to love the discipline that goes with it as well. Because a short-sighted person refuses correction. And what we see here in Moses is, is he doesn't refuse correction. Moses doesn't get angry or, or aggravated. Matter of fact, he doesn't even brush Jethro off as this outsider. Like, dude, come on, man. You don't know what we've been through. All this struggle that we've had. You've been sitting in your palace, wherever you've been, Love and life. You have no idea. He could have easily brushed him off. He could have easily just said something like, hey, listen, I know you're my father-in-law. I don't know if you've noticed, but I'm kind of the only one that has a direct conversation with God. So appreciate your little insights, but you can move on, little father-in-law, right? <laughs> but he doesn't do that. What we see Moses do is he, Moses responds with humility. With humility, he received Jethro's advice, and Scripture says that he implemented it immediately. And what you'll notice that as you read the story, the entire time, Moses had everything that he needed right around him. And sometimes we need to look at what God's placed around us. The people, the things that he's placed right around us the entire time. But because the pressure was all around us, we never saw. Just like that player didn't see all the options available to him. But when we watch the film, when we slow down in life, when we draw close to God, he makes our path straight and we see those options. Okay? Pressure can be tough. I remember even in my own life when I was in this transition from going from medicine into ministry, it was hard. I thought I was giving up on what God had called me to do from as early as I can remember. And I had this process where I had to figure out, okay, God, are you changing course? What's going on? I feel like I've chased after this my whole life. It, 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 am I abandoning something that you've put in my life? Or was all of this just preparation for what you had next for me? 
And it was through the process of slowing down. It was through this process of watching the film. It was through this process of having that wise counsel, the right people on the team, the right people on the bus who could shed light into the situation. And for me to realize that this transition wasn't just something that I was abandoning, but rather it was preparation for what God was really calling me to into the ministry. I think about this whole time period that me and Macy had all the infertility issues. I know that God communicated to me that we were going to have a big family. That was the desire of our hearts, and that's what a scripture says. He would give you the desires of your heart. Was he changing the game plan? Was it not going to look the way that I thought it was going to look? Which would have been perfectly fine, and I could have had to figure out that game plan. But again, it was that, that process of coming back, watching the film, spending time with God, getting that wise counsel, letting them shine light. I had no idea they had all the fertility doctors out there and all the different things, and Macy was super, super aggressive, and it worked out. Right? I'm not saying it's going to work out every single time with our situations. We've got to figure out what it is that God's going after, and we've got to be comfortable with pivoting with the different things that he puts in our lives. Okay? I'm going to end with this. Uh, y'all know my favorite team is Duke, and so I'm going to give you another Coach K-ism. Okay? Coach K is the greatest college basketball coach in the world, and he's my favorite, so you're going to get it. Okay? Coach K had this thing where it was called the, the theory of the next play. It's a very simple thing. It didn't matter what the play was before. If the play was good, okay, let's say uh, you dunked on somebody, you got a three-pointer, or you caused a, a turnover. It was a good play. It didn't matter. Let's say the play was bad. still doesn't matter. So let's say that you turned the ball over. Maybe your shot got blocked, or maybe you airballed like Steph Curry. Right? doesn't matter whether the play was good or bad. What are you going to do in the next play? Because the next play determines your future. Shane Battier of Duke, one of my favorite players during my high school time period watching Duke, Shane Battier had an experience where the, this theory of the next play was spotlighted. And here's what happened is Shane Battier came in as a freshman. Duke, for all intents and purposes, no shadow of a doubt were they going to win the, the championship. Every commentator had said it. At the end of the day, you knew who was going to be in the championship game. And guess who made it to the championship game? Duke. Okay. Guess who lost the championship game? Duke. Every commentator was like, what? Like, did that just happen? Like, what? how? I mean, this is like the dream team of college sports right now, right? Like, how did y'all lose? Okay? This was also partnered up with the NBA, allowing college players to skip all their years and go up to the NBA. So Shane Battier went from the best team to not only the worst team, but he also lost three of his best players that went to the NBA. So now he's here on his sophomore year, and he's got to figure out, what in the world am I going to do? He's struggling. Sophomore year was a, a, a developmental year. Now it's the uh, time period, be, the summer between his sophomore and his junior year. Coach K calls him up. He's doing an internship up in Chicago. Coach K has one question for him. He answers the phone. Hey, this is Coach K. I got a hard question for you, uh, but I just want to know if you're ready to be the ACC player of the year. Shane Battio be, begins to make excuses. Coach K hangs up. Click. Shane's like, what in the world? What, what did I, why'd you hang up on me? Coach K never calls back. It wasn't until the next day Coach K calls him back and says, hey, man, sorry about yesterday, but I got a tough question for you. All right, sure, Coach, what's going on? Hey, are you ready to be the ACC player of the year? Shane Battier, again, doesn't learn from his mistake from yesterday, begins to make another excuse. Coach K, click. Shane Battier at this point is like, what is wrong with this dude? Like, what is he doing? Coach K calls back on the third day, and between the second and third day, Shane Battier is a smart fellow. He began to wisen up. Coach K calls and says, hey, sorry about yesterday, but I got, a, I got a tough question for you. Are you ready to be the ACC player of the year? 
Shane Battier says, I know exactly what my response is going to be. Coach asks the question. Shane responds and goes, absolutely, Coach. I'm ready to be the ACC player of the year. Coach K says another phrase to him that Shane Battier ends up saying it will be one of the most important lines that anybody has ever said to him. Here's what he says. He says, for us to be where we need to be, for us to become that championship team, to go all the way through March Madness and carry that trophy off of the court, for us to be where we need to be, you need to be that guy. And then he said these words to him. I believe in you, but you need to believe in you. And when I heard that, I said, you know what, that's not a word for one person in this room. That's a word for every single person in this room, including myself. We've got to believe in ourselves. God has wired you in such a way and purposed you in such a way and has wired and given you everything that you need. But we've got to believe in ourselves. We've got to believe in ourselves. Maybe you're like Shane and the weight of the world's on you and you had a lot of things going against you. All the, all the players on your bus may have got off. Maybe you feel lonely and isolated and all the things that pressure does to you. Let me do what I taught in this service. We've got to go back to the promise of Scripture. Let's see what Scripture says. When you feel down and out, when you feel that the pressure of the world is on you, Proverbs 24, 16 says this. So, for though the righteous fall seven times, they rise again. Everybody say rise again. again. Come on, say it like you mean it. Rise again. All right, with that being said, go ahead and rise to your feet. <laughs> Church, this, these are the keys for setting yourself up. These are the keys for preparing yourself to have a successful Christian life. And when you do all of this, when we put these values in that ordain our life, your life will be a slam dunk. Amen? Amen. Put your hands out in front of you. Let me pray. Here, Lord, thank you for this. Morning where we can, we can just search your word, where we can hear your word, where you can help us make our path straight. Lord, I just love that a simple game like basketball has so many life lessons that will draw us to your word, and your word can come alive in a way that we may have never thought before. But Father, I just ask for, uh, I, I pray over this entire church, every person who's watching online, Father, would they hear these words and know that they're meant for them, that no matter what the trial is, no matter where you came in this morning, whether you feel completely on fire and purposed for God or whether you feel isolated, whether you feel worn down, whether you feel like pressure is just wreaking havoc and messing up your head, but, Father, that you're there all along. And, Father, I just ask that would you give us a special anointing that we know exactly what to do. We know the game plan. We know we got to slow down a little bit. we got to increase our time with you. we got to increase our devotion time. Make church bigger priorities in our life. Get around other bodies of believers where we can get encouraged and get exactly what we need. Father, I just speak against what the enemy does in every single one of our lives. Father, every negative word that is spoken over us, Father, I bind it right now. Father, would you loose over people your words of life, not the words of chaos and destruction that the enemy puts in our life. So, Father, anybody who feels like they're not used, they're not worthy, they're the, whatever the lie is, Father, would they know that the devil is a liar and it will not win in our lives. And so, Father, we agree with your word. We align ourselves with your word. 
And Father, we lean on you to make our paths straight. In Jesus' name, everybody said? Amen. Amen, amen. Thank you guys so much for being here this weekend. I hope you enjoyed it. Go home, fill out your brackets, and we'll see you for week number three. You've been listening to the Cathedral Podcast. If you were encouraged by today's message, leave us a rating and hit subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you have any questions about today's message or just want to reach out, send an email to questions at cathedralemail.com. Thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Have a blessed week.